sweet of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. It's a worldwide phenomenon. I have George Knapp listening to that UFO podcast and having one hell of a good time. Now, when we're talking about these beings or entities, Stephen Greer, who, and we're mentioning him a lot, and I'm sure most people listening are aware of who Stephen Greer is, but if you're not, then... The, the movies or documentaries are available on Netflix and Amazon Prime and, and go and do a little bit of digging and research as well just to kind of see that the basics of why we're talking about what we are. But Stephen Greer pushes the idea that whatever these are, they are very friendly. They are trying to help us as a species, um, give us warnings and messages that, you know, we're going about things the wrong way, especially when it comes to weapons. And he's very much against the, the idea of a threat narrative and what previously TTSA and Luis Elizondo and, and people like that are now potentially going down that route of. Do you subscribe to the idea that whatever these entities are, they're all coming from another planet, another solar system? Do you think? it's multiple things happening at once different realities and dimensions coming in what's your personal thoughts given your experiences on where these beings are from potentially and what their kind of message is okay so yeah that's that's two questions there um i i during all the interactions i had i there have been distinct differences where um like the, the one that happened in 2007 um the one where you know, I was asked to come outside that they, they told me they were extraterrestrials. They told me that they were ET, um, in that download thing. Um, so I don't, again, I don't know if that was literal or because at that time I was, I was not as deep into the work now where I'm like, okay, there's extra uh, interdimensionals, extra dimensionals, time travelers. All. I only had that concept really at that time for UFOs, you know, um, for for the most part, I only, okay, UFOs are extraterrestrials. So I don't know if that plays a factor in it, but they, they told me that they were extraterrestrials. Um, I don't know if that's true, uh, but I, I've had interactions, you know, before and after that, that were distinctly different where I'm like, okay, that's, it doesn't, it doesn't have the same quality of feeling. Um, the phenomenon um, manifests or appears in different ways. I think we're dealing with several different intelligences. Um, I think we're being engaged by probably, you know, and I hate to make this sound like a blanket statement, but all of the above, I think we're dealing with uh, beings from different dimensions. I think we're, we're actually dealing with different um, physical entities that are from this universe. So we could call them extraterrestrial biological beings. Um, so I, I think we're dealing with a lot of different things. And I think they all probably, have um, or at least some of them have different agendas. Uh, that's that's just my own personal take on at you know at this time you know um, so I'm subject to change on that. But that's kind of that's how I feel based on everything that I experienced and all the research I've done. Um, but I, I do 
Um, again, this is just a personal belief. I do have a feeling that there there is a group of, of um, you know, these intelligences that are looking out for us. You know, um, you know, people might not like that, but that's that's just my how I feel. Honestly, I think that you know some of these, even if some of these uh, entities don't have our best interests, that it's it's possible that um, what we could call the benevolent ones, the ones that do have some kind of stake, at least in this planet and and us for whatever reason, uh, they're not going to let them interfere with us um, to the you know to the extent of like, Oh, they're going to just come invade this planet or whatever. Now, what has been the biggest change for you in your time involved with CE five? Have you had any major shifts of mindset that you've had one opinion and it's totally changed at this point? Is there anything you would potentially even look back on and tell yourself at the start of your journey? Actually, you thought this, but this is the way to go about it. Yeah, I mean that's and that's constantly um, kind of evolving. I, you know, when I when I first heard a lot of Doctor Greer stuff, I actually took a lot of what he said more seriously, but I questioned it. So after you know after my own investigations, I, I don't come to all the same a lot of the same conclusions as him. So a lot of those things change. I you know I I you know he he talks about my labs and and even like again mo- that all these entities are peaceful and even his own message has changed with that. And if you really press him on that, he's not going to say, okay, they're all peaceful. Um, but he's going to say they're not hostile. Um, so that, yeah, my, some of my thoughts have changed over that. I've been, I've become, um, more agnostic in a sense where, um, you know, like before, after the contact and first getting into CE5, I, I felt like I had more of it figured out and, you know, the more I really investigated and kind of like in a Zen cone way or, or self inquiry model, really questioning myself constantly and, and realizing how little I know, even as, you know, cause a, a lot of times um, you'll come across this kind of phenomena where, you know, experiencers feel like they have all the answers. Uh, but I, I've taken the approach that, you know, even with all the contact you can have, you're, you don't have all the answers no matter who you are. And um, so I'm, I'm, a big proponent of, the, of that where it's like, I don't, I don't believe the experiences have all the answers. Um, I think they have one important piece, but so does everybody else. There will be people listening to this right now who have decided off the back of your, your, your advice and experiences and decide, you know what, I'm going to give this a go. What advice would you give them? For CE5? Yeah. Oh man. I, I mean, you know, you can look at every available source and, um, you know, do what, what, uh, you're so inclined to do. I mean, uh, there's a great free PDF, uh, by Celia Hatch called, um, a, a CE5 handbook. And that's, you can find that on Google. Um, I, I can probably get you a link to that and it's a free PDF download. And that has, uh, uh several different approaches to CE5, uh, where, you know, again, see the, the basis with CE5 is the intention to have contact, the, you know, and the further you kind of, or, you know, the, the more you invest in that, you know, the greater probability you're going to have of having an interaction of some sort. And, you know, I can't dictate to what level you're going to have an experience, 
Um, but you know, generally people who take it seriously and, and give it a, a serious go and put time and effort into it are going to, are going to get some kind of interaction. Um, so there's a lot of stuff on, you know, again, I know people might not, uh, like Stephen Greer, but he has a ton of stuff on YouTube where he's got guided meditations, even just talking about some of the philosophy. And when it comes to that, he, he's actually very knowledgeable. Um, even though he's had his share of fumbles, his, his, his work with CE five is incredible. He's you know, again, that's, that's part of what, what um, drew me to Dr. Greer um, early on was that when he was describing contact and how it happens and the experiences, it was exactly as I had experienced. So I, he knew what he was talking about. So there is a lot of good stuff on, on his CE five stuff on his YouTube channel. You can just watch for free. Um, and, uh, you know, again, search around for, for different contact modalities. And the most important thing is to practice them, right? So if you want to have a, a general CE5 experience, it's, you know, it might, you know, you might have to practice at it for a few weeks or months even to have something where it's like uh, a truly anomalous event, uh, you know, and everybody's different. So I've had friends that, you know, they had to come out with me for a few months before they felt comfortable doing it on their own. Um, and they, they actually, uh, they came with me to this awesome event. We saw this, uh, golden craft come in super low, um, which was incredible. But again, that's somebody who was really, um, it took him a while to kind of catch on to it. But after a few months he was doing it on his own and he started his own team. So, um, it, it just takes the most important thing is that you practice it and uh, consistently because if you practice it for two weeks and then drop it for a month, uh, you know, that's, that's like, you know, you go to the gym for two weeks and then you stop going for a month. This is, you know, your progress is going to dampen. Yeah. Listen, before we get to listener questions, I do want to talk for a few minutes on, on Dr. Stephen Greer. Okay. And some of those practices, like you say, my opinion, and it's only my opinion, it's not right or, or wrong or, you know, Stephen Greer is someone who I think started out with the best intentions and even you've alluded to the fact over the years his message has changed and he's had some fumbles now my one of my big issues is not someone attempting to make some money if this is what he left yeah, quite a lucrative career didn't he? he's a, a surgeon um so he he could have made a lot of money doing doing that anyway however he has and still does charge extortionate amounts of money, what some may seem two or three thousand dollars to sit on the beach with him and have CE five experiences as he talks about it. And there's been controversies around those that potentially uh, on one occasion there was a, a local flight school had records where a pilot was basically dropping flares out off the coast. Now I've not heard of many of these experiences with Dr. Greer ending in disappointment which you would you would think just given the nature of what you're trying to do, there surely would be some times where nothing happened and that's not Dr. Greer's fault or the people that he's with. So where do you sit with the, the practice where Dr. Greer is at now of this does generate a lot of revenue for him. There's no escaping that. Um, the amount of money he can charge for some of these experiences and do you see why people have turned away from dr greer's message yeah i mean i i 
you know, as, as somebody who's kind of looked at in the CE5 community as a leader of sorts, you know, I created the social media around CE5. I've, I, I mean, when, when he, when he first started charging, cause it, was, it used to be a lot cheaper. It was way cheaper years ago. And as soon as he upped the price, I, I contacted CSETI leadership and I said, what is, what are you guys doing? And they said, yeah, I understand what you're saying, James, but this is, uh, Steven, you know, this is Dr. Greer's call. There's nothing we can do about it kind of thing. So, I mean, really, um, I've, I've been open in the CE5 community saying, listen, you do not need this training. It's a novelty to go out with Dr. Greer. Yeah. If you're following Dr. Greer's work, it's cool to go out with him, especially when it was cheaper. Uh, but it by no means is it needed at all. You could just get up, start this on your own. I know a lot of people who have, um, I don't think there's anybody in ufology that's made more money than Dr. Stephen Greer for whatever that's worth. Um, I, I'm completely against um, monetizing CE5 to that degree. I can see, okay, you want to cover the cost of renting the space. Sure. You need to make a little money for yourself for investing time. Sure. But I, what he's done is outrageous. And it, 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 it's hurt the community. It's hurt CE5, you know? So, um, you know, in, in, in some ways, C, Dr. Stephen Greer, CE5's greatest enemy. So it, he, he's kind of become the biggest obstacle. And, you know, years ago, early on, and, you know, he's promoting it and, you know, people were skeptical at first, but, you know, now, so you have this event right with the flares, uh, which those are flares. There's no question about that. Those are flares. You can see the sequence that they appear yeah. and the sequence in which they disappear are, and the, and the slow way they drift, all consistent with flares. You cannot prove those are not flares. Um, I can say I've been to C-SETI events with Dr. Greer where there was genuine contact where you couldn't fake it if you had all the money in the world. It's just things occurred that, you know, you couldn't fake. But, um, again, yeah, this, I mean, this flare thing is a big question. Uh, I can't say one way or another that he staged it. There actually, there was a search and rescue that same night close by in Florida. Um, I don't know if that was far enough away, uh, where you could have seen flares from that. It was a coast guard search and rescue. Um, but again, um, I, you know, CE5's biggest obstacle has become Dr. Greer, um, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's so difficult. And it, I'll tell you for somebody like me, um, it, it, it's really difficult to kind of, to deal with. So it's almost like I have to take the term CE5 and, and, and do something else altogether because of the, the flack it's gotten because of Dr. Greer. But, you know, and you have this thing where at the same time he put out the CE5 film and now millions of people. Uh, are aware of CE5 where like kind of like in uh, the other films, it's like they got, people got like a, a taste of it, but he just put out this huge film, reached millions and millions of people. You got people like Demi Lovato promoting it. Um, and it's, it's, it's like, it's a double-edged sword because you need that awareness spread, not even of CE5 say per the name, but the awareness that, that people have the innate ability whether through the the you know UFOs technology or just whatever that you can that you can reach out to this intelligence and it can respond, you know that you can have contact. 
Um, so there's that part where it's like he's he's been more instrumental than anybody on this planet for opening that idea to people. You know, even though some of the the, the past attempts at it, like Mission Rama and stuff, uh, had close contact encounters, no one has come close to spreading the awareness of the basic idea of CE5 than, than Dr. Greer. So um, it's, it is what it is, right? Yeah. I appreciate the honesty in that answer. And, and the way I see it with Dr. Greer is like I say, he had the best intentions and a, a real message to go out with at the start. And that's changed over the years, largely due to money and celebrity, call it what it is. And I think a lot of what it is with Dr. Greer now, it's, it's cult of personality that people are willing to pay two to three thousand, four thousand dollars or whatever it is, not necessarily just for the experience, but they buy into him and they trust yeah. him blindly. And it's almost a faith, you know, you don't want to say cult in a sense, but cult of personality that they're going because it's him that's doing it, um, which, like you say, is a shame because it does damage a potentially what seems to be very noble and incredible practice to, to go in for. Uh, what I want to just ask on that is I asked Michael Mazzola when I spoke to him, now if people are new to the podcast and there are thousands of you that haven't heard the stuff from just last year, I interviewed Michael Mazzola who was the director of Unacknowledged and CE5 which were Dr. Greer's, uh, some of his documentaries and they're available on Netflix, Amazon Prime and stuff like that as well. And, and I asked Michael Mazzola that if this practice is is so incredible and Dr. Greer claims to be someone still at the forefront, if not the go-to guy for this, okay? Why does he not, reaching out for that 1% that he talks about, get with the resources he has, not even just money, but connections, a live news crew, head to a landmark, get a group, and perform CE5 live on TV, get some stuff to come overhead, not even the most incredible, but just something to appear, and then surely that would that bang that would be the message for that. Why do you not think that that's happened in in modern day? I don't know. You know, actually, in, in I forget which film it was in. Um, he did one where again it wasn't it wasn't for the public. I mean, he they recorded it, but for one of those, I actually think it was serious. Unfortunately, because that film is highly controversial because of the Atacama, which is a whole nother. <laughs> Yes, yeah, as yeah, uh, hazard. Um, but they they actually did, they got really good footage in that. Um, but again, yeah, t- man, that's you know that's something that it needs to be experimented with. You know, and again, we were talking before about location. I I was in Midtown Manhattan on the roof of a building, and I did CE five, and had an absolutely incredible experience. Um, on, on several occasions, again, in midtown Manhattan, I'm up by myself on the roof of this building when I'm doing it, but, um, I, I think it has the potential to be done. Um, there should probably be, somebody should lead that initiative. Um, cause again, there's going to be your trials and errors. Um, and you probably want to do it with a smaller group just because you generally get a better response with small coherent groups. I was at an event with like 200 people for a CE5 and it, it, you know, it, everybody's participation alters how the, the, the contact can unfold. So when you have, they have events like contact in the desert 
and they do like a mass CE5 with uh, at the, I don't know how many people are those contact in the desert events, a lot of people, but uh, you know, it's never like what happens at a, like a genuine contact expedition. When, when you have like anywhere from two to 20 people that are on the same page, you're going to get much better results than if you have 50 people, a hundred people, kind of half of them taking it seriously, half them not in the mood or whatever it is. Um, so I, I would say if you want to do something serious like that, you need a highly trained, well, I don't want to say highly trained team like you need specialists, but you want the best results, get the people that have the most success, get a good group of people together and do an initiative like that. That's, that's what you got to do. I think that that would be my best approach. Get like a group of five to to 10 or 15 people and go around with, you know, again, you couldn't, you can't base the whole thing on just one night. Right. So the, the phenomenon has a stake in what's going on for whatever reason they'll choose to respond when they want to, basically they're running the show. Um, so part of it depends on that. Um, so you, it would have to be an initiative undertaken, you know, not like, Oh, we're going to go out one night with Fox news and try to get a response. You know, you're, it could happen. Yeah. Uh, if, I mean, I guess I know there have, been people that have attempted live stream CE5s and have gotten okay results. Um, but, you know, it's not an initiative dedicated to that. And I think that you would probably need one like that. First up, listener question is from Dave Smethurst. Dave sent in a lot of questions and I had to, I had to be careful what I picked. He wants to know, regarding your recent interview with Lou Elizondo, what were three of the main things that you took away from it? Oh, well, one that some way, somehow, uh, contact experiences were observed in uh, ATIP as actually a part of their study. And, you know, Lou was very careful not to get into that. So I thought that was fascinating. Um, the remote viewing question was, an, and that's kind of related, but that, you know, he, I was not expecting that. I was just expecting him to say no, kind of really. I just wanted to ask her to cover that base. So I asked it and, he his response was very interesting and um i mean i guess i guess a third one would be you know the way he 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 really was open to the ce5 community and you know nobody had asked him about it so i i thought he was great at communicating that see i'm just going to follow up on that if you had lou for an interview tomorrow and he said right you've got one follow-up question do you know off the top of your head what your follow-up question would be Oh man, I actually had it. I had it. Oh, I, I, I didn't ask him if he ever had a CE5 experience. I mean, you know what he's going to say to that, but but still, it's, it's sh- how he, how he answers it tells you right. what you need to know, doesn't it? Just now as well. well so. No, we've known that he's had some kind of experience. We didn't know if there was an interactive mental quality. And you know what? It depends when you speak to Lou. Given I spoke to Lou on the first of February, and I asked him about CE5. Lou's answer was, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So at that point, he was not ready to speak about that. But yet you look where we are four months down the line and how much more. And it's like you you got him at a time where you asked the right question in the right way and he expanded on it. And I think, again, someone like you, speaking to Lou in six months' time, that question gets answered potentially in a lot a, a different way to it would tomorrow. 
So that's I think that's the good thing with with a guy like Lou and someone like yourself opening that door with those questions that you did ask that were that were really cool. Yeah. Next up, Strange Farm had a question. What are some meditation practices that he could do at home to better the chances of contact? Okay, so I um, I don't want to direct anybody down a particular path. I think you kind of just go with what um, feels right to you. But if I were to suggest um, meditation practices, I would say um, try try two or three different types of techniques and try them each for you you know for a few weeks at a time. So take one technique and try it for two or three weeks because. You're not going to try a new technique and and that day or the next day you're like, man, I know what they're talking about now when they talk about enlightenment and meditation. It's just like, you know, working out at the gym. You have to build that muscle and um, some meditation techniques work better with others. So some people like mantra. So where you recite a mantra in your mind and, um, you know, you do it for five, maybe five minutes and then when you realize that your mind starts drifting, you do the mantra again for a few minutes until you're into like a center of stillness. Um, or you can do a pranayama technique, which again, any of these techniques I'm mentioning, just Google. Uh, you can do a pranayama technique, which there's like hundreds of different types. Um, and, you know, again, you practice the pranayama for a few weeks and see how that feels for you. And then there's something like vipassana, which is another um mindfulness based technique and again try a few of those techniques and see which one works the best for you which one you feel like the most centered and tranquil with and and stick with that one awesome good question the next one i I find a really interesting question this one is from uh, james also Uh, james is one of the patreons over uh, at patreon.com and he wants to know is james aware of if those on the autistic spectrum are at all disadvantaged to success with CE5, um, mainly concerning understanding of emotions and also ability to project thoughts out. Hmm. Wait, can you say that one more time? I'm sorry. Just yeah. So it, it, James wants to know if you're aware if people who are on the autism spectrum are disadvantaged to having any success with CE5 coming from a point of view that they can have difficulty understanding emotions and also projecting thoughts out? Um, I yeah, I can't say from personal experience yes or no. However, there's also the possibility that they could be superior at it for whatever reason because you have people that are on that spectrum that are freaking highly skilled at things where it's amazing. So um, – Again, everything's trial and error. So I, I don't want to categorize people saying, you know, these kind of people because they're this way or good or bad at it. This person's not good at art, so they're probably not going to be good at CE5. It has to be an independent thing. For, for, for all you know, they're going to be better at it than anybody else. Yeah, I, I did wonder that reading the question. Is it a case of they're, they're tuned into something that most people aren't? Right, they have right. their success in that way so yeah absolutely I, i'm with you on that one james good question though uh, thanks for that one the drawing board wants to know um they were intrigued when you brought up the collins elite with lou and lou categor- categorically stated that he could not talk about that and they thought it was a really interesting line of conversation and they just want to know what you thought about lou's answer or where that could go well i think um you know whether whether you call them the Collins leader or, or whatever it is, there there is such a group. Um, 
Dr. Eric Davis in an interview, I believe, with Alejandro Rojas said, yeah, they the Collins elite or you know, those kind of fundamental religious people that believe UFOs are demons are the ones who shut down OSAP. They're the ones who got OSAP canceled. Um and I, I think I in one of the unidentified uh, episodes. I'm not sure if it was season one or season two. They kind of alluded to a group like that. So um, there is a legitimate group like that. There that is an obstacle to this subject, and they they have you know used their power to to minimize any kind of progress. Um, there's you know again when you, when you get into anything like the Collins leader or Majestic Twelve or anything, there's going to be a whole lot of smoke. But there, there is something there. There's a spark of of, of reality there. Um, so there, there was work done by like Nick Redfern talking about the college elite, and I believe a gentleman named Ray Boucher. And I remember he did a really good episode, I think, on Linda Moulton Howe's The Phenomenon when it was still on KGRA radio. Um, so there's some stuff out there. Um, again, it's that's kind of like to inform yourself of just to be aware of. You can go down a whole rabbit hole with that. Um, my friend uh, Scott Brown actually uh, advised if people are interested in the Collins elite, they can't say if it's exactly related to it, but there's it's there's a correlation there uh, of a movie on Netflix called The Family. And it's talking about this um, very powerful family of, of Christian fundamentalists that uh, they have a lot of power and, and, and they do things in politics. So that's uh, that's some thought on that. Nice answer. And a waif soul uh, sent in a few questions. Uh, they want to know, do you think practicing CE5 leads to an increase in sightings or contact over time? For the for the entire planet? Like collectively no, or individually? I, I suppose for you, if you're, the way I'm reading the question is, if you're practicing CE5, do the sightings get more frequent, more intense over time? Or is there still that haphazard nature to how they appear? Yeah, I mean there there becomes a point where it's like second nature. Um so when you're when you're well practiced and again you can always and they, they talk about this in the yoga sutras that you can always go backwards, you know. Um so there's always the potential to go backwards, but when you're really well practiced, like you never you, you never really forget how to ride a bike. I mean if you haven't ridden a bike in a few years, you take a few minutes and you kind of get back into it. Um but uh yeah. For sure. I mean, the the more you do it, the the more likely you are to have sightings. Um, because once once you get the feeling of it, right? Because there's a distinct feeling to genuine contact, and once you're really used to that feeling, you can kind of go to that right away. And um, you know, you don't even necessarily have to be doing a CE five to get into that and and have something happen. And, um, just in case the, the guy was asking that on a mic, on a macro scale, I do think, um, there's a potential for more people doing more CE5 equaling more sightings for the planet. If you know, so both, both, I'll say both. Yes. To both. Cool. Next up, we've got the quick fire round. So I'm going to mention a few topics or names that we've not managed to talk about in the body of the interview. And you can give your thoughts as short or as long as you want on each one. Okay. And the first one is quite timely. It's the upcoming UAP task force report. Yeah. So I think that we're probably, uh, again, we already know that 
whatever the report's going to say is going to be saying it's not ours. So everything that's uh, being talked about with with these unidentified aerial phenomena, it's not our technology. Um, I see this as a stepping stone. So I think that there's going to be hopefully a lot of media hype around it, probably a buzz for a few weeks. Overall, it's good, even though, you know, I know people want to hear about Roswell and stuff. We're not going to get anything like that. Um, I don't even know if we're going to get any of the nuclear cases. And if we don't, why? Um, I think Christopher Mellon's questions may be indicative of what we see and don't see in the report. Um, I, I think he's kind of in the know and he asked those questions as like the next step. Um, but um, again, it's a step forward. It's progress. I think that it will. And again, you know, you see all these Congress people, right? Like they're making some, I mean, some of them are saying some pretty crazy things. So you could just see that now people are more open to talking about it. So that's progress. And I think it's a good thing. And again, necessary stepping stone moving forward, not the end. And I'd just like to mention on that with the Congress, people talking about this the way they are and using terminology that we're not used to them saying and just standing outside these massive buildings saying, yeah, alien technology or not human or from somewhere else or outside our galaxy, however they mean it, they're saying it. And I appreciate people get in touch with me and they'll tell me, oh, but this guy's got this politics or this, this one said this about this. Being from the UK, I suppose I don't have that. I don't have that knowledge or direct knowledge or bias that I'm left or right for whatever these, I don't know their background or what they do or don't vote for. I just know they're talking about a subject I'm passionate about. So I appreciate that. What they're like as human beings, I don't know. And it's, it's kind of hard to tell, but they're talking about the subject, which does have a positive impact. So yeah. And, that's, and listen, that's I, a good thing. I'm an American and I don't give a shit what their politics are. And people aren't going to like that. I don't care. You know, if they're, I'm I'm looking at yeah this is bipartisan right um if they're going to be part of the solution good I mean it doesn't mean I'm going to vote them into office but them talking about this openly is number 1 it's progress and hopefully will encourage others to and and number 2 it's an indicator of where we are right so I'm not saying like oh we, they said that let's just vote for them no it has nothing to do with that you know, it's, it's it's showing you where we are in the time and people are willing to, to step up and talk about it. That's what we need. Absolutely. Next one is Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar. Uh, super interesting. Um, now, uh, the guy was exposed to classified information. Okay. I don't know how he was, but, you know, you just saw, I think, I, I, I don't know if it was the drive or somebody just did an article on those hand scanners, right? Um there's, there's so many interesting things in his story that I have to believe that he was either um, exposed to classified information or part of some kind of strategic release of information because there's there's no way that, that he could have known about, you know, secret classified test testing of, of – um, you know, whatever those objects were in that recorded video, uh, there's no way he could have known about the classified test sites, you know, a, a classified test flight of whatever the, those objects were. Um, you know, he knew about area 51, which was not really well known back then. Uh, so he, he had access to, to different pieces of pieces of information 
that were classified. So he he's either legit in what he was saying, or or he he knew somebody that was in some kind of classified program over there that was feeding him information. But the the thing the issue I have with that is I don't think he would have staked his entire reputation and, and future if some guy was telling him some kind of weird stuff. And you know what I mean? Like he 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 jeopardized a lot of his 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 future, you know, whether, you know, um, he, the stuff, you know, he went out and, and said the things he said and he really jammed himself up, right? There's, there's no going and doing everything he did and saying, okay, I'm just going to get another job at a classified uh, facility, which, you know, he was at Los Alamos, right? We know that George Knapp had, had found him in the, in the phone book, you know, whether as a contractor or not. Um, so there's no way he's like, this is a great idea to, fur- you know, to further my career in life. Yeah. So I, I can't say that he did everything that he said he did. I, I find it extremely fascinating. And I, I, I think that there is a potential that he's telling the truth on everything. I mean, at least from his point of view, I think that's, so, I'm, I have that well on the table. I'm not, I'm not willing to discount that he's just making it up. Do you prefer the term UFO or UAP? Um, I don't. I don't really care one way or the other. I'm. I'm fine using whatever terminology is appropriate for the conversation. Um, I like UFO. It's cool, but I, I understand how um, UAP is more accurate. Um, UAP is not a new term. It's been used more recently, um, but. It, there, I like I like both of them. I think unidentified aerial phenomena is, is a really cool way of accurately describing some of the things that we see. And finally, what does disclosure mean to you, man? Um, for me personally, on a personal level, um, I would say that you know, no, I have, I guess I have a few things like. I, if we're not, if we're not hearing about like Roswell and, and legit crash retrievals, which did happen, that's not exactly disclosure. You know, I mean, disclosure, I guess would mean the release of the truth, right? Um, I I think we're going to get incremental partial disclosures. Um, and, and I, I mean, I can't argue against that, right? We're, we're, it's great to see this stuff finally come out. Uh, but I would, I would say that like a genuine disclosure would be a release of most of the information, like saying, yeah, we have crash retrievals. We, we have, we have alien technology, we have alien beings or, you know, whatever, however you want to say it, we have them in our possession and we've had them for decades. Um, something to that effect. And even like a, a post disclosure for me, would be where like, obviously the entire world acknowledges it can't be something like, you know, a whistleblower comes out and says it and it's questionable it has to be like, you know, the U S president is, or, or, you know, someone to that effect um, is saying, you know, or another uh, president of another country, I guess um, says like, okay, you know, UFOs are real. They represent a non-human intelligence that has been engaging us. And, um, to go further than that, I guess some kind of actual open interaction with this, these beings. Awesome. James, how can people get in touch with you and follow your work? 
Uh, I'm engaging the phenomenon on Twitter, uh, engaging the phenomenon on YouTube. I encourage people to reach out to me through social media. Um, uh, I'm also on Instagram, but Twitter, really, if you want to get in touch with me, uh, get me on Twitter. Awesome. And I'm going to steal James just for two more minutes over on Patreon. And I'm just going to be asking him what is his favorite UFO case or piece of evidence for join us on Patreon or Apple subscriptions for that one, folks. Thanks for joining us, James. Sure thing. Yeah. Hi to everyone on Apple subscriptions and patreon.com. I've still got James Ian Dolly with me. I had to think about that one. I think I got it right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm going to be asking James, just for all of you who subscribe to the podcast and give a little something back, James, what is your favorite either piece of evidence or UFO case? Yeah, one of my one of my favorite cases actually is the Hudson Valley UFO case. It's the Hudson Valley UFO wave. And uh, part of that is because I live in Westchester, New York. I live in the actual Hudson Valley. Uh, a lot of people in my area um, some of them are older now, but, uh, had seen the, uh, a lot of sightings back then in the eighties, uh, for that wave. And actually Dr. Jalen Hynek, one of the last books that he worked on, uh, he co-authored it. It's called night siege, the Hudson Valley UFO wave. Um, so I always found that as a fascinating, um, case, I guess you can say, because it's an entire wave expanded for, uh, several years. You're talking about um, there is – I have Indian Point over here, like just a few miles away, and that's a nuclear facility. So you have the interaction with UFOs and nukes. There was actually a helicopter chase with a UFO that's not so well known during that flap that happened. Um, so the, the, it's, a, it's very rich in that component. You got the contact. You got the UFOs and nukes thing. Even though they're not ICBMs, it's just a nuclear facility, uh, You know, power generation. Uh, so – I, I find that as a fascinating case, I'll, but I, you know, just to, to list off a few other cases, I do really like the 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 Phoenix Lights, just because yeah. you know you had this massive sighting, and you know if that was some kind of U.S. test of secret tech, not a good idea, man. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't and, too you know, secret, right? And then you have Fife Symington, who was um, what the mayor at the time, yeah, and uh, you know he kind of laughed it off at first to try to lighten the mood. And then he comes out with James Fox just a few years later saying, you know, first of all, he was a air force pilot. So he's a trained observer. And he said, he personally saw the, the Phoenix lights. He saw the craft. It was blocking out stars. It was tremendous, completely silent. And he was amazed. So um, that's another great case. And actually, if you go read the book that was written by um, Dr. Lynn Katai, there's a lot of stuff going on that uh, people aren't aware with um, that during that time, people were having contact experiences, CE fives um, and uh, contact experiences. Uh, so there was a whole lot going on that that's not talked about as well. So I really like those cases. And of course, just as like a, 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 a UFO guy, I, I love Roswell. It's just a absolutely fascinating case. Um, so many interesting witness testimonies from different angles. You know, you had the coroner, you had, uh, uh, that, that woman, um, I forgot her name, something June where she was shown materials, the, the, the memory material, uh, that, that gentleman researcher, James Clarkson found her. Um, and there's so many different, you know, Colonel Corso, um, which 
something, you know, I always found the Colonel Corso story very interesting, but having somebody like Dr. Eric Davis go on the record and say he investigated Colonel Corso's claims and they panned out, meaning he there, there was truth to it. So for somebody like Dr. Eric Davis, who's probably a lot deeper in this than many people realize, uh, saying that some of those claims were legit is uh, very convincing to me. James, you've been very generous with your time. Thanks very much for joining us. It's been great being on, man. You take care. Cheers. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet, and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little bit. Imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. And I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head. And everything was weird and everything was red. I called up my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And I think I should because it doesn't really scare me. Consider your space, consider your lies, consider your life.